I'm going to pray before we start, and then we're going to get started with this teaching. Father God, you know how in awe I am of you, and I know it's not just me. I thank you, Father, for every person that you have here tonight. Every person that has come to receive, that has come to hear from you, that has come to have their mind renewed and grow in their knowledge of you and in their knowledge of how you love them, in their knowledge of your truth. Father, I pray today that this this truth that I have to share is absolute freedom-inspiring truth. And I just pray, Father, over it. I pray that it comes and settles in our hearts and changes us. And, and just like Tom already said in the opening, that we come to know who we truly are in you. Not who the world says we are. Not who we think we are. But who we truly are in you and through you. And I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this message, the title is Your True Identity. And it is something that has been, I, it's been, uh, I love it when God does it, but it's just been like kind of churning in here. And I have, um, I have been um, seeing people, including myself, and, and observing how very often we believe an identity that isn't true, that isn't in agreement with God. And it gets in the way of receiving because we've got a lie so big in front of our face that we don't see the truth. And like I said, this has been in me and churning in me. And I thought, okay, God, I got to just start going to your word and see what you say about this because I want to share it. So as this has been kind of growing and building, what I've come to um, know so far, and I know it's, it's a process. He always does this. It's a process. But this is only a starting point. This, this introduction or this teaching I'm doing tonight is a starting point. And I've just been kind of uh, mapping out the next six or eight weeks. I've talked to Fran and Tom a little bit via email, and it's like, okay, we're just going to go. We're just going to look at who we are in Christ and get rid of the wrong identity, expose the lie, replace it with the truth of who we are. And it will. I know it will take us to a new place. It's going to take me to a new place, and I believe it's going to take all of you and those who are hearing on video. It's going to take us to a new place. And this is a confirmation I got just last night. Kent and I went to Pastor Tim's healing meeting, and these were his first words. I wrote it down. He said, he's never said this. I've been going to Pastor Tim's for 10 years probably, and this is how we started. Identity is very important to your healing. That's how he opened If you are believing things about yourself that are not your true identity, you are under the deception of the enemy. That's how we started the meeting. And I looked at Kent, and he looked at me because he knew what I was teaching, and I was like, oh, Holy Spirit, you are so good. You are so good. So let's get started. In the box at the top of your your handout, there's a question. Has the sickness or the issue in your life that you're in the midst of become your identity? Have you received it as who you are? That is the, that's something we're just going to keep coming back to through this whole teaching. We're going to look to see if that's something that you have been focusing on. Has the chronic disease or maybe the terminal disease or maybe the issue of life 
that has seemed to have followed you or chased you your whole life. Have you accepted it as your identity? Have you accepted, uh, um, I have a, a friend that I used to teach with whose last name was Murphy. <laughs> and she said, yeah, Murphy's Law, that's me. Have you accepted an identity that really isn't true? Have you, have, have you been dealing with a disease or something that is so real and so big in your face that that's who you are? That's who you see yourself as. The woman with whatever it is. Um, maybe it's uh, Crohn's. And you, your whole life and all your behaviors are based on that identity. Maybe you're from a family that has um, had, um, uh, for maybe you've had issues with money. From your parents' generation to your, you know, first your grandparents, your parents, your generation, your children. And it's been like, there's always been a struggle. Do you see yourself, are you identifying yourself in that? And do your behaviors match that identity? Or do you see yourself as the child of a king? With the king's inheritance. So what we're talking about is, have you identified with stuff in your life to such a point that your behaviors match it? And instead of living in your true identity, which is what we're going to be defining over the next several weeks, are you living in that identity? Now, I have, um, uh, I'm not a researcher, you know that. But one of the things that I was curious about as I was just pondering this is what, what, what does the medical world say? What does the medical world say about this identity thing? So this is an article from the Time magazine. It's a little old. I couldn't find anything more recent because I didn't do a whole lot of research. But this is, I thought it was very interesting. And it was, had to do with health care. How the power of your self-identity affects your health was the name of the article. And it said one of the best ways to change health behavior, it turns out, is to change a person's self-identity. Now, this is medical research. When a smoker begins to view herself as a non-smoker, or a teen sees binge drinking as something people like me don't do, behavior change is typically more lasting than if a person's sense of identity is not invoked. So let me put that in my own words. Um, this is actually something that we have recommended many times, and I didn't even realize how critical it was. But when somebody is fighting an addiction, and we're ministering to that, because God wants us to be free, and, but when we're ministering to it, one of the things that we always say is, every time you pick, let's say it's cigarettes, every time you pick up a cigarette, speak and say, I am a non-smoker. I hate smoking. I don't even like it, even if you love it. <laughs> Go ahead, smoke the cigarette. But speak and say I am a non-smoker. Because what you're doing is you're over, as you speak, your words are powerful. You are changing who you see yourself as. And then the behavior follows your new identity. And you won't want to smoke anymore. We have seen many people set free. And that's just in one example. And it's based on medical research. This is another piece that I didn't put on your handout. But it says in the same article, research on everything from exercise to eating behaviors to sexuality to political action and drug use suggests that having one's identity wrapped up in a particular behavior 
is the crucial motivating factor to sustaining it. Now, that's positive or negative. So if your identity is wrapped up in a, a, an issue of life, like um, an eating disorder, and your behavior and your identity is wrapped up in that, that's where you'll stay. But when you change your identity and begin to speak and believe, choose to believe something else about yourself, then the behaviors will follow it. An example that I was thinking of as I was um, preparing this is exercise. How many of us have said, I hate exercise. I am not an exerciser. I'm not going to exercise. Bingo. I was hoping you'd raise your hand. (laughs) And, you know, when we see ourselves as something different, we become that. I have seen people go from, and I'm, I'm going to name a name here because it's a positive change. My, my, the person who led me to the Lord, the person who mentored me through my healing process was Jenny. You guys all know about Jenny. Jenny, when I met her, was a beautiful woman, but she wasn't in the best of shape. And she went through a lot of stuff in her life. She was healed of Crohn's. She went through some other really major issues of life. And at one point, somebody mentored her on running, being a runner. And she said, I can't run. I've never run in my life. I don't even walk. How am I supposed to run? But she changed her identity. She started to run. She started to run a little bit. And she built up her her endurance. She is now a crazy runner (laughs) to the other extreme. She runs in half marathons probably at least two a month. I mean, she's running all the time. But she changed her identity from no exercise, that's not me, to somebody who chooses to be a runner. And her behaviors follow that. Okay, so identity is a big deal. I want to make a point right now. Just because you're in a certain situation, just like the smoking thing, doesn't mean that you need to stay in it or doesn't mean that you're supposed to stay in it. I would like to share a scripture. This is Matthew 6, verse 10. It's from the Our Father. And the scripture says, Your kingdom come. Jesus is telling us to pray like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said to his apostles, okay, they asked him how to pray, and he said, pray like this. And this is part of it. Pray, your kingdom come, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's telling us to, to speak, heaven come, heaven invade earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's not optic nerve issues. In heaven, there's not, I'm pretty sure there's not smoking or addictions. In heaven... Healing is done. There's joy. There's freedom. There's complete happiness and and fulfillment. And God says, believe that here. Do you know that when you're saved, the day that you receive Jesus as your Savior, you enter eternal life? Boy, when I learned that, that just wowed me. Because I always thought eternal life came after I died. And I thought that stuff that I just read. You know, your kingdom come and your will be done. I thought that came after I died. But this is on earth as it is in heaven. So the point I want to make is that just because something 
is a certain way in your life doesn't mean God doesn't want heaven on earth in your life too. We're going to um, start this off with blind Bartimaeus. So turn to Mark chapter 10 in your Bibles. Mark chapter 10. Okay. Now they came to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho, this is speaking about Jesus, with his disciples and a great multitude. When he went out, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Notice he's not even just called Bartimaeus. His name is Blind Bartimaeus, and he was sitting there begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, And say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Okay, before I continue, I'm going to to just stop and talk about this for a sec. So here's this man who is literally named Blind Bartimaeus. That would be like saying, Cindy, the girl with cancer, or, uh, you know, so-and-so, the person with Crohn's. He was identified by his blindness and his, his position in life, which was a beggar. When he heard that Jesus was coming, he pursued Jesus. He was, I'm sure he had heard of Jesus' reputation. He had heard that he was the, the, the guy who was healing. And he was saying, that's, that's for me. How many of you would be doing the same thing? Absolutely. Now, here's the interesting part. When he saw Jesus, he threw us, or when Jesus stopped and acknowledged him, and he said, bring him to me, he didn't say, the first thing out of his mouth wasn't, heal my blindness. No. That came later. He did tell Jesus his need, but he didn't do that at the beginning. The first thing he did was he threw off his garment, he rose up, and he went to Jesus. Now, that throwing off of his garment, that throwing off of his garment is throwing off that identity that he was holding. The cloak defined, that thing defined who Bartimaeus was. It says in in these notes that I have that he was poor and blind. He probably had that cloak positioned over his knees to catch the coins thrown his way as he sat by the road to beg. And when he threw it off, it showed that he believed that he didn't need it anymore. So he was getting rid of that identity of needing that to both to prove he was blind or to show he was blind and that he needed money, that he was begging, and he threw it off. So that cloak, if you look at yourself, let me read the rest of this first, and then we'll talk about ourselves. So he threw off his garment, he rose up, and he came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. The term Rabboni, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but that term, that word means master. Yeah, it literally means master. And he was in that position of calling him Rabboni. He was coming in submission. He was saying, you're the master. You're my Lord. You're my master. And I'm coming in submission to you. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. 
Your faith has made you well. Okay, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. In that scripture where Jesus said, go your way, your faith has made you well, that those words made you well are so-so. He was, Jesus said, I have for you, and we know what so-so is. It's salvation and everything that salvation includes. Healing. He was blind. His eyes were made well. But more than that, he followed Jesus down the road. He was saved. He was delivered. He threw off that cloak, that identity of blindness and being poor. And he received sight. And he had a way to make a living besides begging. Jesus was making him whole. Now that cloak, we're talking about identity today. That cloak could define us and what we're holding on to is our identity, our attitudes, our behaviors. Many times our behaviors agree with that false identity, just like that blind man's behaviors. When he had the cloak wrapped around him and sat begging, defined his identity as being blind and a beggar, or blind and poor, or whatever you want to say. That we can do the same thing. In this case, this example was to throw that off, throw off the old attitudes, throw off the old behaviors. And even in this article, it called it a security blanket. It might be a security blanket. It might be something you feel comfortable with. Throw off the definition of who you think you are. Get up and go towards Jesus to be redefined and remolded. So we're going to talk about that redefinition, the redefinition in Jesus. If sickness or any other issue of life has defined your life, God wants to redefine you. Now, what I'm going to start with today, and we're going to continue over the next few weeks, is we are going to look at God's definition of who you are. And I'm going to share, if I have time, four different areas of who you are. And there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more. I mean, there's so much that God says that we are. But we're going to share four big ones tonight. Here's the first one. This is your true identity. He is in you. He refers to God. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is in you. Now, when I was putting this together, I told Kent, there's a lot of scriptures, but this is why. Scripture defines who you are. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you the, depth, the, the thing that you are, and then we're going to look at the Word, and we're going to see what the Word says and how it tells us this. Before I, before I, I start this, I want to just share a little bit about... Uh, this, this kind of addresses your question too, Karen. The difference between um, fact and truth. Fact or faith... Well, let me back up a little bit. We're going to talk about fact and truth. But faith, faith is our part, right? God did his part. Our part is faith. Faith is not anchored in fact. It's anchored in truth. Mm -hmm. Fact is a reality. But truth is a greater reality. Yes, it supersedes it. Eyes of faith 
can look at facts and believe truth. Eyes of faith can look at facts like the issue, Karen, with getting lost with your your, um, optic issue. It can look at facts and believe the truth. That's eyes of faith. So today what we're talking about with this identity thing is the difference between fact, what you see in your life, what your situation is in life, and truth, your true identity. Facts can change, but truth remains constant. So Karen, the fact of your issue with your eyes can change, but truth remains the same. Truth doesn't change. Truth is constant. And the truth, knowing the truth, knowing truth sets you free. Not just truth, but knowing truth is what sets us free. So that's what we're going to share tonight is some truth, some big truth. So the first one is that he is in you. Your true identity is that he is in you. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, and I'm not going to open my Bible tonight to every single scripture because there's a lot of them. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We're talking about he is in us. Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, I love the scripture. And there's many scriptures in the Bible where it talks about being crucified with Christ and being resurrected with Christ. Jesus died for us and was resurrected. We know that. But we, as believers, were crucified with him. We died with him. The old person died with him. And we're resurrected to new life. And he is in us. That's what it says. Christ liveth in me. He lives in me. And now here's the part about the identity. But the life I live in the flesh, that's, that's the world. The life that I live here, I live by the faith of the Son of God. That's what blind Bartimaeus did. He lived by the faith of the Son of God. He threw off the cloak. He says, I give up that identity, and I choose what you have for me, Jesus. And he was sozoed. He was made whole. He was healed. We live by the faith of the Son of God. That's a lot of faith. I don't have to have my own. I have the faith of Jesus. The faith of the Son of God. That's what the Bible says. That's why I chose this particular um, version. Because this is the, the, the closest translation from the Greek. The faith of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God. But the faith of the Son of God. It is. That's who you are, Donna. That's our identity. The next scripture, the next three scriptures have to do with us being the temple of God. He lives in us. He lives in us. We host his presence. Think about a temple. Think about the temple with the Ark of the Covenant and the holiness that it was so very holy that nobody could enter except one priest, the high priest, once a year. And he had to do all sorts of preparations or he would die because there was so much holiness. That's what we are. We host 
the same presence that was in the most holy of holies in the Ark of the Covenant. We host that presence. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And these three scriptures from the truth of the word of God say that. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Spirit of God is in me. This is part of our identity. This is stuff to go home and meditate on. The next one, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As I was meditating on this one, I was meditating on the Holy Spirit within me, which I love. That's a scripture that I have spoken over myself ever since 13 years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer. This was one of my scriptures, that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the second part of the scripture says, therefore glorify God in your body. I don't know about you, but I don't think sickness is glorifying to God. So I choose to speak this instead of the sickness. God, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You reside in me. I glorify you with my healed body. Now, you might not have seen it healed yet, but speak it. I glorify you with my whole body. Wholeness glorifies God, not sickness. Now, in this world, you hear sometimes that somehow uh, sickness glorifies God because of the way you I don't know, the way you live through it or the way that you are strong through it or whatever. Well, what glorifies him more? Yeah. Do you think I glorify God? Like every breath I breathe? I was healed and now I share it all over the place. And it gives God glory. I don't do it for me. I do it because he so deserves our glory. This next scripture is 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. There it is again. You host his presence. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now think about this. The first line of the scripture says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? An idol is anything that holds greater power than God in your life. That false identity could very well be an idol in your life. That identity of of being that person with the disease, being comfortable in it, could have more power over you than the power of God in your life and be an idol. What agreement is there? What agreement is there with cancer and the Holy Spirit? Uh Uh-uh. When I was diagnosed and I had cancer, according to the doctors, through my whole lymph node system, I remember speaking this all the time and saying something like this. God, my body is your temple. The Holy Spirit resides in me. Cancer and the Holy Spirit can't coexist So cancer has to go. I remember speaking that over and over. And that's kind of what the scripture is saying. 
what agreement can the temple, your living temple, have with an idol? You know, in the um, Old Testament, there were many times when, they, when the Bible talks about idols, even in the temple, and how very offensive that was to God. I, I don't know. Maybe that's not a good analogy for you, but it is for me. And, and I'm not saying that you are doing anything wrong personally, but I'm saying we can speak against it. And we can say no to whatever that thing is that's, that's in your life. Say no to it. That's not who I am. I'm the temple of God, and I host his presence. And I'm not. I am not the host of disease. I am not the host of whatever that other thing is. Amen. Amen. The next scripture is Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. We're talking about your true identity. He is in you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. So here's this treasure, this secret, this secret that was kept for the saints. We're the saints. We are God's people. So it was kept for all this time. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And here's the secret. This is the secret. This is that awesome treasure. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. This is the same scripture that in a different translation says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word hope is expectation. Assurance. Christ in you. Christ lives in you. This is your identity. Once you've received Jesus as your Savior, he lives in you. And that gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Do you think Christ has glory? Yeah. And he is in us. So therefore, his glory is in us. So therefore, we share in his glory. Healing is part of his glory. His manifest presence includes healing. He's not sick. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, there are a whole lot more scriptures that talk about him in us. You can go to, you can take any one of these things I'm sharing and go to your concordance and just put in him. I did it. They are all over the place. And you can do the same Word study that I've done and, and even expand it more to see who you, who, who you, what your identity is. And the first part is that he's in you. The next part of your identity, your true identity that I want to talk about is that you are in him. Now this one really threw me. Cause I mean, I know I've spoken it, I've heard it, I've, but I've never really studied it. So for some reason it's easier for me to think that he's in me than for to think that I'm in him. At least for me. But I want to show you what the Bible says. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've become a new creation. And that's how we become a new creation. So the old us wasn't in Christ before we were Saved before we came to accept Jesus. But as a child of God, as a saved person, 
We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we're a new creation. We're not the same. The old has passed away. We've become new. Acts 17:28. Thank you, Lord. For in him, we're in him. In him, we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. We have our identity. We can have our identity in the world. We can choose it. We can believe a lie. But we have a choice to believe that our identity is in him. We have our being in him. That's where my identity is. Not in me. Not in who I am and what I work for and, you know, my, I don't know, my situation. But my identity is in him. And then my behaviors change to match that identity. In this particular scripture in Acts, this was written um, by Paul. And he was in uh, Greece in this chapter. You know, he went on mission trips and he was all over different places in Europe. And in this one, he was in Greece. And in Greece, those of you who um, were in, in high school, it was a long time ago, but remember Greek mythology and all of the gods and the goddesses. Well, Paul was seeing all that. He was in Athens, Greece, and there were, they had gods everywhere. They had idols everywhere. They were statues. And in this, I read the whole chapter as I was doing this, and, it, and Paul was saying, you know, you've got statues everywhere. You've, got, you've even got one that says, to the unknown God. <laughs> I mean, you're believing in everybody, even the ones that nobody knows. There's some God out there. And he said, but this is where the true identity is. This is where we really live. All that other stuff is fake. All the other idols, the little stuff. The little gods, whatever, that you're believing in, that's not true. This, Jesus, and he was talking, he was teaching about Jesus, that's in him. That's where we live and move and have our being. That's our identity. And it's life-giving. Jesus is life-giving. When we believe in Jesus, it's not a false God that we're, that's, that's not going to get us anywhere except hurting our our. Abba's heart. He's saying this is where life is. He was telling the, the, the Athenians or the Greek people. Colossians 2.10. Your true identity is that you are in him. Colossians 2.10. And you are in him made full. Made full. And having come to fullness of life. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. And he is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. Once again, the scripture says that we are in him. And this scripture goes on to say, you too are filled with the Godhead. So he's in us. It says both. We are in him And we are filled with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what I loved. And you reach full spiritual stature. How can you help but reach full spiritual stature when you're in God and he's in you? And it talks about being full and complete. Just like the previous scripture where Paul says it's in him that we live and move and have our being. So is your identity in being filled 
with the world and your career and all the stuff in the world? Or is your identity in the true way to be filled? And I, I don't know about you, but I've tried it both ways. God's way is way better. Kent and I are so proud right now of our son. He, um, this week, he came to us to talk about a decision he had to make about a, a job uh, a job opportunity. And the job opportunity was a great one. It was a really, really good one. And it would have been a very big promotion. And he prayed about it, and Kay prayed about it, and we prayed about it, but we let him hear God on his own. Um, and he didn't take it. He didn't take it. And it was a hard decision for him. But he knew that it would take him in a place of a different culture of work, a different culture of living. And his, God's the center of his life. And he made that decision with God. And he and his wife prayed together. And that was the decision that they made. Fullness of life doesn't come from promotions and money and career, although there's nothing wrong with that, if that's where God says go. But in this case, God said, this is exactly what he told my daughter-in-law. He said, wait, I have something better for you. And so when we know God, that's where our fullness is. That's where our completeness is. Ephesians 2. Oh, this is the one that just undid me this week. Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. So here the scripture says, we know that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are in Christ Jesus. We are raised together with him and sit together. We have joint seating with him in the heavenly places. Wow. Wow. And the second verse, the second verse here, verse 7 says that. That's grace. That's grace. The amazing, limitless, surpassing riches of His grace. We are in Christ Jesus at the right hand of God. Now I say that with complete humility. Complete humility. But it's God's Word. He says we are in Christ and we know who's, who's under his foot, who's under the footstool. <laughs> right? Man of me. Yeah. We are in Christ at the right hand of God, in, in, in joint seating with him. So if you think that you're too puny to fight something, think of that. Meditate on that. Renew your mind with that word. 
First John four verses 13 and 15. Your true identity. You are in him. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The scripture says twice in three verses that we abide in him and he abides in us. And it says that that happens when we confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. When we accept his sacrifice, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he was resurrected for us. When we do that, he abides in us. That means he dwells permanently. He makes his home in us. And we abide, we dwell permanently and make our home in him. That's your identity. That's your identity. Your true identity. The next part of your true identity I want to um, go to some scripture about. You hear this in here all the time. But it's so important. And that is to know that you are deeply loved by God. You know, you hear it in here all the time, and I know you hear it other places. You probably read about the love of God. You probably hear other teachings on the love of God. But until you know it, until it's your own revelation, you can be in that place of a false identity and think for whatever reason that that. You're not lovable or that you're not good enough to be loved. That's what I'm going to be teaching on next week is that lie, that specific lie. But your true identity is that you are deeply loved. So I'm going to go to Scripture and show you what God's Word says about it. Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. That word loving kindness refers to his faithfulness. With my faithfulness, I have drawn you. I remember when I first was saved, this happened in my life so radically. His faithfulness drew me to him. I I prayed that prayer of salvation, and when I did, my identity changed, but I really didn't know it. But I recognized that he was drawing me to himself with his faithfulness. I recognized that I started to pray. I I had always prayed, but I started to hear back. I started to see the evidence of him loving me and taking care of me. In so many situations, he draws us to himself. He loves us so much, and he's faithful. Pay attention. Pay attention to his faithfulness. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word. I love it. See what love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's another part of our identity. And I'm not even teaching on that concept tonight. But we're his kids. We're his chosen ones. We are the adopted kids of God. And that's one of the evidences that he loves us because he has called us his children. And we are. And we are. 
You know, in the whole world of adoption, um, people that adopt want children so desperately. (laughs) They have tried either one of two cases. They've either tried very, very desperately to get pregnant, haven't been able to, and they choose adoption instead. Or because of the situation in the world, they want to adopt somebody that doesn't have a mom and a dad. Either case, those kids are chosen. They're deeply, deeply chosen. Now, in my, with Kent and I, with three kids, we love all of our kids, oh, like crazy. But there's only one of the three that we planned. The other two are accidents. Adoption. We are his adopted kids. He chose us. Each one of us. He loves us so dearly. He lavished his love on us. He lavished his love that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. In the scripture, when you read the whole context, it says, somebody might choose to die for a worthy person or for some really special person, or, but God didn't do that. He died for us when we were still in the midst of being completely consumed with sin and the yuckiness of our lives, and he chose to die for us. You know, a, a love that is demonstrated is, is, a, is, is different. We, you, can, you can say that you love somebody. You can feel love for somebody. But demonstrating is a whole other level. And he showed us. He demonstrated his love for us. When Christ died for us. First John 4 verses 9 and 10 says something very similar. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son. He loved us so much that he sent his son to pay the price that we owed. He loved us so much that he chose for his son to die so that we could live. Jesus chose to die so that we could live. Those of us who are parents know that we would do anything for our kids. We would give our own lives for our children. That's what God did for us. Except he didn't do it for just one of us. He did it for all of us. And this is a scripture I shared last week that is so beautiful. Or two weeks ago. Mm, This one's just been kind of soaking in my heart. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, so rich is he in his mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him. For it is by grace, His favor and mercy, which you do not deserve, that you are saved. By grace, you are saved 
you are delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. You are made partakers of Christ's salvation. With the same life that quickened Jesus, because Jesus is living, he's not dead. With the same life that raised him from the dead, we also have that same life quickening us. And the part of the scripture that just overwhelms me is the first part that says, in order to satisfy his wonderful and intense love. You know, when you love somebody so much, you want to satisfy that love. You want to do something to satisfy that love and show them that love. God was that way except so much more, like multiplied from our experience so many times over. And he wanted to satisfy. He needed to satisfy his love, and that's how he did it. He loves you. Put yourself in that scripture. Don't put the world in that scripture. Just put you in that scripture. And, and, and meditate on what he did for you. In order to satisfy his intense, amazing, wonderful love for you, he sent Jesus to die for you so that you could live. He sent Jesus to provide grace for you so that you could be saved. By grace you are saved. You are deeply loved by God. This is another identity, part of your identity, that you can go to the Bible and find Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. And this is truth. And truth supersedes fact. So if a fact in your life says, oh, I'm not lovable, or nobody else loves me, or, you know, my husband sure never loved me, or my father never loved me, that might be fact. But this is truth. And truth supersedes fact. The last part of identity I want to talk about tonight. This is your true identity. You are strong. You are more than a conqueror. You are victorious. And you can do all things through him. You are the victor, not the victim. You are strong. Romans 8, verses 35 and verse 37. Who shall ever separate us from Christ's love? Shall suffering, affliction, and tribulation, or calamity and distress, or persecution, or hunger, or destitution, or peril, or sword, or anything else that you have identified with? No. In many translations, the first word in 37 is no. Yet, amid all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. So it talks about all the junk of life, all the stuff that can go wrong. It says, can this stuff separate you from the love of God? Can this stuff separate you? Can can this wrong identity, amid all that stuff, the scripture says, In the midst of all that stuff, you are more than conquerors through him. You have gained a surpassing victory. I love that part. Surpassing means you bypassed it all. You passed it. Like if you're in a a race and and you're the, the way in the back and you just 
have so much power that you can pass everybody and get to the finish line first. You have the surpassing victory. You're the victor, not the victim. That's your identity. You're more than conquerors. You have surpassing victory. You gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. And notice it says in here two or three times, it relates the victory to knowing the love of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' name means victory. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means victory, salvation, and deliverer. It says in the scripture, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our identity. Therefore, I love it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the midst of all the junk, if there is junk in your life, you are a victor. That's your identity. And then the next verse says, therefore, be steadfast, be immovable. And it talks about work, talks about the work of the Lord. There's only one work, and that's believing. Believing. God says we're victorious. We are victors. But he says be steadfast and be immovable. So move your identity. Just plunk it. Say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not my identity. This is my identity. And I'm steadfast and I'm immovable. God says I'm the victor. But he says, therefore, be steady. Be immovable. Don't Don't let yourself get sucked back into that vacuum of that identity that isn't in agreement with him. That says, I'm not victorious. I'm weak. I'm not strong. I'm puny. In the natural, maybe, but not with God. Not with God. You are strong in him. Philippians 4.13. This is from the Amplified. Oh, you're going to want this one. Did I print this one on your paper, the Amplified? Okay, you're going to want this one. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Isn't that good? That's a good one. Now, we've all heard the, the New King James Version that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's absolute truth. But it's Christ's sufficiency. It's not ours. We are sufficient in his sufficiency. And the beginning of this says, I have strength for all things in Christ. The name Christ, his name is Jesus. Christ isn't just a second name. It's not like Cindy Lou. (laughs) Christ tells that he is the anointed one and his anointing. We are strong through Christ, the anointed one and his Anointing. Remember, we're in Christ and he's in us. We're strong in him and in his anointing, which empowers us. And we become sufficient, not because of our own strength, but because of his sufficiency. We are strong. And Ephesians 6.10, this is the last, next to the last scripture, I guess. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Kent and I were listening to a teaching. Kathy, it was a KDP teaching. Galloway, is that what his name was? This amazing, we're doing an awesome program, a year-long program. And and we have teachings to listen to every month. And this scripture was um, taught on. And I, Kent and I got so excited. We were driving up north, weren't we, Kent? This scripture was so cool. There's three words in this scripture that I didn't know the meaning of. And when I came to know the depth of the meaning, it just completely changed the whole thing. Because I pray this all the time. God, I'm strong in you and in the power of your might. Or I pray it for you. But listen to this. The word strong is the Greek word endynamu. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But it has the same root as the word dunamis. But this is the difference. It's inward dunamis. Inward dunamis. We are endued with strength, empowered through our union with him. And our believing, because this is all about believing, our believing is infused with that inward dunamis. With that inward miracle working power within us. Be strong. Be strong. That's, that word strong is that inward strength. That inward miracle working power. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word power is kratos or kratos. And it literally means a tangible power. A demonstrative power. A work of power. And the word might, eshos, and I looked up the pronunciation of that one. Eshos, it means, this is where it gets really cool, a mighty man. And this teacher said it's literally like God's muscles are backing up your prayer. God's muscles. So as I was praying and meditating on this one, I was seeing like Superman or the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> and, and, you know, Superman doesn't just have big muscles or the Incredible Hulk doesn't just have big muscles. They go and they save the day and they rescue whoever needs rescued, right? So that's what I think when I pray this prayer. God, I pray it and I say, I thank you, God, that I'm strong in you. I have this inward dunamis miracle working power in you. And in the power of... Of your might, you're the one with the muscles. And you have the, that demonstrative power available for me to conquer whatever it is in my life that needs conquered. Whether it's a disease or whether it's a situation or whether it's a financial issue or whether it's an issue with my kids. Whatever it is, God, you can demonstrate your power with your muscles. Not my muscles, but yours. Yeah, yeah. Our true identity, we're talking about our true identity, is not in our strength and ability or in our lack of strength and ability. That might be where you've got the false identity, that you're weak. It's not in what you've done, but your identity is in his strength and his ability and what he's done. That's where our identity is. Changes the whole picture. So this is the last scripture, for real. 1 John 4, 4. 
little children, you are of God. You belong to him and have already defeated and overcome them, the agents of the Antichrist. Whenever it talks about Antichrist, it's talking about anything against Christ. That false identity is against Christ. It's against the truth. You've already defeated them because he who lives in you is greater, mightier than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you, right, Yvonne, than he who is in the world. That was her scripture when she was first diagnosed with cancer. That was the scripture God gave her to stand on. Greater is he that's in you. Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than that identity that's a lie. That's your identity. The greater one lives in you. And he's mighty. It has that same word. Mightier. Look at his, think of his muscles. <laughs> Mightier than he who is in the world. Okay. Now, here's your homework. Kent, if you want to just get ready to close and get the song on. Here's your homework. And I don't usually give homework, but this is important. Meditate on scripture. Whatever the area is that's the hardest for you to believe, Whatever you read of these scriptures and you say, oh, that's not me. Meditate on those scriptures. Read them out loud. That's truth. Meditating on his truth will enable your mind to be renewed, transformed, made new to the real you. That's who you are. But if you have been in the midst of believing a lie and being in an identity that's not true, it might take some doing to get your identity to line up with God's word and to let go of the lie and believe the truth. So if there is something that we talked about today, what that he's in you, that you're in him, that you're loved, that you're strong, take those scriptures or go to the word and find other ones because there's a lot of them for each one of these. And we're going to be doing more of this over the next few weeks. Take those scriptures and meditate on them. Put them by your Bible. Put them in your Bible, but where you see them, and read them out loud and say, this is your truth about me, God. Help me to have a renewal. I need renewed. I need a renewal in this area, God. And just watch what he'll do in you. We're going to close. I'm going to close with prayer so I can turn the video off and we're going to worship God. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you are in us and we are in you. God, that in itself is a game changer. I thank you that you love us so deeply. I thank you that we are strong, not because of our own ability, but because of your mighty muscles and because of your power. And because you're the victor and we're in you and you're in us. So we just thank you, God, for your truth. And I pray, Father God, that every one of us can step into that new identity and that our behaviors, our actions will agree with our new identity instead of that old one. We praise you, God, with all of our heart. We praise you because the greater one lives in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.